how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why, I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? Everybody, this is Rose. And this is Louisa. And you're listening to Sober Sex. I made a promise to myself to stop not listening. What it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality. It started with putting down the substances, really, and starting to listen. And the listening to my body has changed. Great. Awesome. Welcome, Jesse Neeland, to Sober Sex. Jesse Neeland is a coach, clinical sexologist, TEDx speaker, and writer dedicated to women helping um, them love their bodies. Welcome, Jesse. We are so delighted to have you here. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for joining. Where are you calling in from? North Carolina. I'm staying here with my family for a while. Yes, the the COVID has made everything yes. <laughs> bizarre. How's it going over there? Uh, it's good. My boyfriend, we met in LA and we had only been together a very short amount of time when COVID hit. So we were apart for three months and then uh, decided to move across the country together. So it's been pretty awesome, actually. Um, but oh, we're wow. staying with my family. So it's, uh, it's a lot. It's intense and exciting. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That sounds like a very exciting opportunity to get to mm-hmm. know each other in very unusual circumstances. <laughs> so before we get too deep, uh, what are your pronouns? She, her. Awesome. Cool. Us also. <laughs> Both awesome. Great. Well, so we like to start the conversation really just by talking a bit about some of the early messages you received around sex and sexuality. Hmm. Well, I'm in a bit of a unique position there. Um, I didn't grow up with any religion, uh, so that saved me a lot of sex negativity. And yeah, I was I was way outside purity culture. Um, and also, interestingly, my parents were very sex positive from a very young age. Like I knew all of the anatomical terms. Uh, all my friends would come to me like this was a thing until we hit puberty when I I stopped being cool for a long time I was very cool because I was the kid who knew how everything worked and (laughs) they just used you know they just talked to us and gave us the science it was like we knew how babies were made and we knew how uh what periods were and we just knew all this stuff and the things that other people's parents talked about in hushed tones my parents were like really open about and they were also really open about the fact that it felt good, which was super confusing as a kid because, you know, you kind of okay. just can't imagine. But it, it really served me later where I was like, the, like, you know, the idea that, oh, it's supposed to really hurt your first time. I was given the message that if you go slow enough, listen to your body, are relaxed and in a, a good, safe environment, it shouldn't hurt. You know, it should feel good. That's the point of sex. And I was like, oh. So I had a really unique set of messages. Um, of course, it was completely counteracted by a lot of the messages I got from my peers, but I think that mm. solid foundation really set me up for a, a much healthier sex life than a lot of the, the girls and women that I ended up talking to about it for a really long time. I was the only person who, you know, believed it should feel good or, uh, that it was a totally positive thing, you know, to masturbate and that, uh, yeah, that it wasn't something to be ashamed of. And I grew up in a pretty conservative town, so you should know that we were, we were the weirdos. <laughs> oh my god I so relate I grew up in a very similar situation not so I mean sex was definitely free but not as in free transactionally but free <laughs> right. as in like my parents were the hippies on the hill and mm-hmm. like there was a lot of like open talk about love making which actually yeah. is pretty weird now as an adult <laughs> because I feel like yeah. I got hung up in a different way from everybody else because I'm like <laughs> Oh God! When anybody says love making, I let Same. Oh my God! I, I, I totally relate. <laughs> so funny. So, yeah. But then, how are the? So that sounds like a really nourishing foundation. But then, how did that those messages differ from the ones that you were getting from your peers when you hit puberty? I mean, I think so much of the the peer messaging was around like gendered sex role expectations 
And the idea that like a girl's job is to be hot and give good head and a guy's job is to get whatever he can from her, you know, that that was the, the predominant narrative among my peers. And of course I was friends with a lot of boys. I had a brother. So there was much more of my life was populated with boys at that age. And so to hear that kind of thing, like the way boys talked about girls, um, it just, none of that was about pleasure, at least not about our pleasure. Um, and it was all this very coercive thing of like girls expected to sort of play goalie and defend their purity and bodies and boys expected to push and be aggressive and try to get a little bit more. Um, you know, there was so much of like the thing where you're making out with someone and they like slowly, slowly creep their hands places and it's your job to like keep them from getting too far or if you let them get too far you're going to be like labeled a certain way like slutty or something I just all that stuff was what was going on among my peers and then at home we were having conversations well as you said like you know love making and uh the sort of life affirming power of knowing your own body and uh communicating in your relationship so I got labeled as slutty real fast I didn't even I hadn't even done anything by the time I got labeled as slutty, just because I, the way I talked about it and kind of, I think, felt around it. Um, but yeah, oh, I felt yeah. like I was, yeah, it just, it, I was the least slutty in some ways. Like I, I was a lot more positive about these things, but, but I feel like kind of like you said, we were, we were having like loving conversations about sex. We weren't doing like kinky stuff, you know? Well, it sounds like you were like kind of maybe more mature than you ever right, right. before. But it's interesting because I remember I uh, have listened to a lot of interviews with Peggy Ornstein around like boys oh, and sex. Love her. After yeah. She's so awesome. Yeah. And that whole like idea of like the language surrounding it kind of acting as a defense mechanism of like yeah. we talk about like pounding and slamming mm-hmm. and like all of these like really destroying. aggressive violence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, pussy destroying and you're like you're yeah. 15. it's so confusing isn't it and then you introduce like loving parents who are like (laughs) (laughs) I remember going into my parents room and opening their condom drawer and then taking out like the little thing that comes with the durex as my parents called it and it would be like gently prize open and I was like what is this gently prizing open like oh my gosh if I catch any form of like porn, it was always just like, ah, right. <laughs> slam, slam. <laughs> Which quite frankly, I love a good slam. I'm not going to lie, but sure. like, I didn't even know there was options, you know, it's confusing. Yeah. Isn't it? it is. So and I think it, it definitely made me feel like, like if we had to pick teams, you know, there was a, most of my sex life. I think I had picked team do what the boys want and what my peers say is the right way to do it. I, I don't think I was like team gently prizing open <laughs> condom if we had to choose. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it, like there's so much kind of social pressure to kind of go with the flow in terms of that stuff, especially as a young woman, even if like when it's kind of identifying as like a punk or a feminist or like, you mm-hmm. know, trying to be body aware and boundary like that's that seems really lame when you're like yeah. 15 and want to be liked <laughs> <laughs> absolutely responsibility. like when you talk about the the gender roles in that um the responsibility of a female I feel within that is like we we are the ones that are like meant to dictate the rhythm or the expectation yeah. in the making out and like fuck's sake why isn't men why aren't men being taught because we live in a patriarchy (laughs) damn that's right well that's it's actually such a huge thing though that I I felt really out of control in my sexuality at times because I, I felt like I was expected like everyone was treating it when I was with boys I was treated like the one who was supposed to slow it down and I was like sex positive and horny. So I wasn't about to slow it down. And so I felt like there were times where other people would be horrified by the pace at which I had done something. And I would just be like, but why? Like, what is the point of waiting? Or what is... And then and then sometimes there was complex stuff around that too of I kind of wanted someone else to slow it down. Like I wished yeah. a boy would have said, let's go slow. Yeah. I remember when my husband, like um, I met my husband in sobriety and uh, he didn't immediately become my husband. Obviously there was a, there was a dating period. <laughs> but I remember when I got sober and I would, we were, we were having a lot of sex at the beginning and I remember him saying to me like, hey, can we just like chat? Like I'm horny. Yeah, I have sex yeah. 
and just being like almost very skeptical and slightly mm. untrusting of that. And that was at 30. And yeah. I'd started becoming, I was sexually active since I was like pretty young, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, pre-teens. And so mm. it was the first time I'd come across a guy just being like, hey, do you mind if we take it slow? And and mm-hmm. my go-to as a woman, I'm embarrassed to say, was one of defensiveness. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Because I think some of the messages that men are supposed to be just raging hormone monsters with, you know, like absolutely no brake system whatsoever. So that just means he doesn't want you, right? Yeah. Right. What a rejection. The internal yeah. messaging around it. And yeah. also that whole, like you were talking about purity culture, this idea that like, well, men can't control themselves. So women must have the breaks because other yeah. women, we're the temptresses, you know, this like, yeah. we, are e- we are evil. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how did your kind of education unfold from that point? Like how, I mean, that's like quite a road between that space and like right. clinical sexologists, body culture, <laughs> body, body neutral. Yeah. Like, you know, how's that um, so, I mean, I just had like a sort of normal-ish experiences with sex and boyfriends and whatnot throughout uh, my early, mid-20s. Um, I was a personal trainer in New York City for a long time before I got into uh, body image coaching. And it was very much like it set the foundation because people were coming to me asking for fitness to solve a problem that I pretty quickly realized it couldn't solve, which is feeling good in your own skin. Um, and so then I decided to shift my brand. I moved, uh, I, I got my life coaching certification. I moved into the space of, um, like self-esteem, self-worth, confidence, body image. And then from there, it was just like every conversation I had seemed, you know, so many of them anyway, seemed to pivot around sex in some capacity. And I just realized, okay, I need a little more education here. So I signed up for a clinical sexology program that took two years um, and it, it was very much because of the conversations I was already having. Like I didn't have a, I didn't plan to go like shift from body image to sex coaching or anything. Although occasionally I will take someone who's just straight up sex, sex coaching. Um, the, the majority of it was just, I want to support this conversation better. And sex and body image are so linked, like living in your body, your relationship to sex and your relationship to how you look or how you feel in your skin are just deeply linked. So at that point, I was introduced to all kinds of cool stuff like, um, you know, the psychology of BDSM and kink, um, you know, uh, queer culture in so many ways that I hadn't really been introduced to it. Um, I started exploring my own queerness. Um, Yeah, it it was awesome. I just loved it. It was so fun. There were times where I was like, why am I doing this? This is so much work. And then um, (laughs) there was just a lot of times where I would just like sit there and be like, I can't believe I get to just learn about my own G spot. Like, this is so cool. Um, Because that was that was the type of classwork, you know, that, that I got to take. That's awesome. So what exactly is a clinical sexologist? It is just a person who talks to people about the sex they're having and how they feel about it. It is a really broad spectrum. Um, there are clinical or sorry, there are, um, like sexologists who are more on the research side, but clinical generally just means you're talking to people. Um, so I am a person who talks to people about sex. Fantastic. (laughs) Amazing. And how did you realize that that was your calling? Well, like I said, the, I think the calling is about helping set people free from the the nonsense that is layered upon having a body. Um, so much of that came from women's bodies, but I, I've expanded a lot of um, how I see this kind of topic. So I feel like my calling is about helping people feel free in their bodies and in the world, like self-worth and body image are so linked. And then sex is just a part of that conversation. It's just a an undeniably important part of how we see ourselves and how we function in the world. Oh my god, my my heart is like, oh yeah. I'm like welling up <laughs> I'm sitting here like really teary, just being like, oh my god, imagine yeah. if women we all kind of came out of this space of like exercise is gonna fix it into this space. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Wow. Absolutely. Or even I think like I personally I think I kind of came around it like inside out almost. Like it took kind of kink and BDSM to get the kind of somatic information I needed in order Mm. to 
arrive in this space of like really enjoying the process of having a body which is like two mm, years old yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh fuck like this is where we're at this is this is how long it took to kind of befriend the vessel yeah. and even that is still like I think we talked like maybe two years ago I, like I remember I hit you up because yeah. I was really curious about um body image coaching just because it's so gnarly <laughs> it's yeah, so yeah, hard it how did you um kind of get free mm, my goodness. <laughs> that's a big question um how did I get free I would say that um it, I mean it was a long process there's a lot of trauma healing and therapy involved and uh, lots and lots of tools I think that that movement was one of my ways in because like what you just said about kink and BDSM um exercise was that for me fitness was and so I'm, I'm, I love lifting weights. I will always be grateful to uh, certain aspects of of my training background um, because Louise of is how grinning her head off yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> because of how empowering it is, even if the industry itself is pretty disempowering. Um, but yeah, I mean, I basically was like, oh, I didn't know that being in a body could be so fun. You know, like learning to get strong felt so empowering, and to have some level of agency over my body, and and then suddenly realizing, wow, I didn't know how little agency I felt like I did have over my body. Like I just owed my body to everybody else for mm. whatever reason. I mean, the reason being trauma. But like the <laughs> the idea that strength training got me embodied for the like it got me back in, or it gave me an in, I should say, to do a bunch of other healing work. Um, even when I got injured from lifting too heavy because I was pushing myself past my body's cues, like I got injured and then started another healing journey. You know, I was working with people. I had a body worker who, um, very, very gently suggested that my emotions might be involved in the process of me getting (laughs) injured. And then I, you know, I sought out therapy and it just, it was this long journey, but I think that it sort of began with feeling myself for the first time. And then the recognition that I hadn't been feeling myself, um, and in sex, that was, it took a lot longer than that for me to actually feel myself in, in terms of like sexual pleasure. It took years after that, uh, of curiosity and trying and feeling frustrated and, and pulling apart how much of this is emotional, how much is this is physical. Uh, so yeah, it was a really long journey to get free, but many different resources involved for sure. Well, that's, uh, that, I mean, thank you, uh, for expressing that like like Louisa said, she'd been in touch with you a couple of years ago. I've been steadily stalking you for <laughs> years and being like, hey, how do I work with you? Like we send <laughs> like We send everybody we know or oh, like women who are struggling in this era, just like, don't follow yeah. Jesse Like constantly <laughs> reading your posts across. And so I'm basically very thrilled that we're having this conversation. It feels very divine. But could you just talk a little bit like so observing you, or as I like to call it, stalking you on Instagram, <laughs> <laughs> pivoting from Gently. health and fitness. Yeah, yeah. I'm not like yeah. <laughs> every second. Sorry. <laughs> from I said to Louisa before those was like Jesse Logie crush. Sorry. <laughs> um, pivoting from health and fitness to being an advocate for body neutrality, like we said, is really inspiring. Was it conscious decision or was it more of just like a natural evolution and how does that continue to evolve yeah it was both because I think that the work I was doing behind the scenes as a trainer once I had moved to the online forum um I was doing a lot of emailing with my clients so they would you know we would meet we would do a a fitness assessment I would write them a program and then I would offer them like email follow-up and I discovered that in those emails I was doing what I now know to be essentially body image coaching. But at the time it just felt like this is my favorite part of my job as a trainer is the talking to the people about how they feel about themselves part. Mm-hmm. So I think that the behind the scenes had, had very naturally and organically shifted into uh, the body image and confidence and self-love stuff way before my outward facing brand did because I still looked like a personal trainer who would help people get in shape, you know? Um, but the work that I loved doing and the work that I was already doing involved jumping on phone calls with, um, I worked with a lot of very young women. So I, I would jump on the phone call with someone who was just like having a meltdown at dinner with her girlfriends, uh, because she like couldn't decide what to eat and was feeling a lot of shame. Mm-hmm. So those were the things that I was like, I love this part. And then I kind of realized at a certain point, that's not even personal training. Like that has nothing to do with anything. That's just being a good support system. 
Um, and when I went and got my life coaching certification, it sort of formalized that like, this is a thing you can do. You can only have those conversations if you want. And so then I shifted very consciously my outward facing brand to reflect that I'm no longer writing programs or, I mean, I, I can occasionally I will for somebody who just really wants like, you know, to, to get in their body and use fitness as a tool mm -hmm. for that. Um, but I'm no longer like getting people in shape. I have no interest in that anymore. And so I shifted my brand to be, I'm doing this kind of coaching to help people feel good in their bodies. That's so awesome. I mean, did you have any like fear about making that pivot, like both for yourself and for your clients? <laughs> Just because I like, Ooh, you know, did I? Like, <laughs> like even thinking about it, I'm like, fuck, like I want the outside answer to fix my outside. I don't want to have to do the work of like actually like internalizing this whole belief system that like I am worthy regardless of how my body is. You know, I'm like, yeah. oh no, that's not sexy. Like, <laughs> so I had a coaching call. I did like a consultation kind of thing with a business coach who basically told me, don't give up fitness. You won't make any money. And I got off and I was like, okay, I think she's probably right. But my intuition is still telling me, like, I was hoping she would change my intuition. <laughs> That's what I was hoping. <laughs> I was hoping somebody would, would change my intuition because I did not want to shift out of a, a pretty damn successful business model in an, in an industry that I knew very well into something new. I did not want to. I felt like I needed to because my gut was telling me that was what I needed to do. But I would have loved to be wrong and just keep doing what I was doing and just make it a little more like body positive. Um, and so she basically told me that and I got off the call and knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was going to make this shift and was like, okay, like she did a really good job of convincing me otherwise. And I still feel the same. So I basically thought I was going to go broke and was giving up everything I had worked for, for close to a decade at that point. Um, I was giving up all of my contacts and respect in the coach, the, the fitness coaching industry. Like I was known as a strength coach for, um, like hot models. And like, I, I had a reputation. I had, I had contacts. I was well known. I had lots and lots of articles out there. Um, and I was basically like throwing all that away. And it was an incredibly scary thing to do. Um, but I think that I'm someone who trusts my intuition above all else. And I will say that even though I constantly wanted, like, I had a lot of thoughts about it that were like, this is a bad idea. You're an idiot that my, my core self never really wavered on it that I was like, it, it, it just, it has to happen. It was, it felt so like I have to do this. Amazing. Well, and also, I mean, honestly, kind of coming from a more consumer side, like I don't think I could have trusted you had it been any, had it been just like straight up, like arrived at a space of body neutrality, totally organically, right. like without actually having kind of watched process yeah. and been like, oh, like hmm. she's dancing. <laughs> she looks like she's a like body. Like yeah. I'm lifting and running and training and starving and blah, 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 you know, like yeah. and it's not and I feel worse than ever and I can't tell yeah. anymore. You know, like so to kind of have uh like a concrete like thank you for going into the woods. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I I definitely feel that. I know that I mean not that that story necessarily is like part of my credibility anymore, but it, but I definitely know that it's part of my experience and part of like where I come from, part of my relatability. If I had never gone through all of that, I wouldn't have found this. So like, I absolutely feel like I had to go the way I had to go. I also do feel though, when sometimes people ask me like, sh like, should I do, you know, body image coaching? Like, do you think I can do what you do? And I'm always like, I don't know. I made it up. Now there are body image, co there's tons of body image coaches. But at the time I didn't know another one. I'd never heard of anybody else doing it. I feel like I invented it. Maybe there were some and I just didn't know them. But now it's a whole industry. So it's really wow. interesting to watch that happen and be like, I wasn't like, it, there's not an industry because of me. It just happened to be that I was at the I was at the beginning of a movement towards this thing, which we now kind of mainstream understand to be important. Well, but it, it wasn't at the time. There's such a need because of diet culture. and um, Yeah, exactly. And, and speaking of which, what does diet culture have to do with sex and the patriarchy? And racism. And racism. Nice, simple question. What does it all have to do with each other? Well... We live in a culture that has hierarchies of uh, worth according to different types of bodies. So it says that, you know, people with uh, white bodies are just more worthy of success, safety, autonomy, 
um, money, uh, respect, trust, all these things. And therefore people of other races are, are worth less of those things and that it's appropriate for them to have less of those things. So these are totally internalized. I mean, most of these are way below the surface. Nobody explicitly says to each other, or I should say not nobody. Um, but it's pretty rare in like mainstream world, uh, for somebody to be like, Hey, if you're black, you're not as worthy of respect. But those messages, we see them in how people are represented. We see them in how people are treated. We see them in systems like, you know, police brutality and incarceration rates. Like we see them everywhere. So even if nobody explicitly says it, we learn it. And likewise, gender, uh, is one of those areas. We learn that sex and pleasure are for men and boys and that they Mm. deserve to have their needs satisfied um, because they are worthy of being people whose needs are satisfied, that they are worthy of people attending to them and taking care of their needs. Whereas women are people who should take care of other people's needs. So it's not actually appropriate for them to have someone attend to their own needs. So we just, we learn these things totally under the radar a lot of times. Some of it's explicit. A lot of it is not. And all of it is about a ranking of who's worth what. And those systems will completely fuck up your sex life. I mean, they'll fuck everything up. Like they will put you in danger or not in danger, depending on where you are on each hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but in terms of sex, it's absolutely, it, it applies there because what you learn about yourself and what you deserve is going to translate into the bedroom, the kind of sex you'll accept, the kind of sex you'll believe you have to have. Um, oh yes. <laughs> oh man, That's it's so big. it's so fucking gnarly. Even to kind of like as a person who's like avidly exploring all this stuff and like trying to experience it, like in, in and learning a lot in the meantime, to even still kind of watch the internalized constellation of like, yeah. I take too long to reach orgasm. Yeah. I don't want to fuck if I don't like feel skinny. You know, like all yeah. this. Like there's so many layers there that are just like, fuck, you know, like that are like, yeah. oh no, I don't like the kind of um, invisible and like incredibly deep <laughs> uh, internalized belief systems around what you're talking about is so yeah. hectic. Like, and I, it's, it's like, I, I know you talk a lot about kind of grief as part of the process of kind of arriving in body neutrality and, and within that, this like, around sex and I think that grief around like being like fuck man I believe all this stuff and I don't know how to unbelieve it is so real yeah it was really scary the other day I was looking at one of your posts and I thought I had something I thought I'd come really far with something and you were like Mm. if you're um basically feeling like I can't remember what it was something about like if you're still feeling that um your worth is based on you having lost a bit of weight and you're like I'm not dieting you're still dieting yeah yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Like, shit oh yeah. my god like I long story short but I've been on a job and like I had to eat what my client was eating and it just happened it wasn't it mm-hmm. it didn't feel like a diet but I realized afterwards I came back and I allowed myself because of that to have a different kind of sex Mm. And, I would, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because I'm yes. in my place feeling good. So my husband's like attracted to that energy. I know yeah. that he's energy that is me feeling good. However, yep. I feel good by these things that are set up yeah. for me to feel good about. And so it's really fucking confusing. It's like, wow, when I know that I'm like a fully evolved, ready to ascend yeah. person, but I'm able to <laughs> feel good with a belly full do you know what I mean yeah (laughs) I want to really reflect the importance of what you just said because most okay listen some people are just shitty and some people are traumatized and some people have like a bunch of weird stuff such as I'm only attracted to really hyper thin women whatever it exists but the vast Mm -hmm. majority of people are attracted to energy and yes there is a certain amount of like biochemical stuff going on. Yes, there is a certain amount of preferences that are valid. But when we talk about like, what is really going to turn your partner on most of the time, assuming that, you know, you're already meeting those other criteria, they're drawn to the confident version of you where you're out in the world being impressive and awesome. That's what's hot. And that juicy energy, when you feel like you're feeling yourself, 
Um, you're in your body, you're present, you're, you're in joy, you're in, um, you know, uh, sensation, like you're in, you're really like in touch with yourself. All that stuff translates to people looking at you going, damn, she's hot. I want to have sex with that person. So when we talk about confidence, that self-fulfilling prophecy thing is huge because who have we learned is deserving of feeling that way? Very skinny women. Well, and then, I mean, what's yeah. that Amy Schumer movie where she was like <laughs> hit in the head and like thought she was oh, yeah. hot, <laughs> but like that that um, that no, there was no change in her physical appearance throughout the film. She just behaved in a way that a hot person would behave, <laughs> mm-hmm. and like great things happened, you know, like yeah, yeah, because it was Going all down. in her mind. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember like just hearing the concept of it because I think I watched the movie on a plane that actually was kind of like whatever, but this idea it's like oh fuck like how would I act if I actually like like, loved the way I I I I am not so much like needing to like love the way I look in order to feel okay you know yeah but also being more open you're gonna have better sex you're gonna you're gonna mark those in your head as like the best sex I ever had was when I was so skinny because oh my god because right that's when like you were putting out this energy someone was like super into you and you were more open to something that you never would have tried otherwise and like the whole thing is just so hot that now you've got this somatic coding too where like you look over your lifetime and you go I've only had really great sex when I was at my thinnest has nothing to do with your weight still but that's how a lot of that's the history a lot of people carry right yeah and those kind of like timeline bookmarks are so When you start to get really specific about those details, you're like, hang on, I'm pretty sure I remember having really good sex once when I had really hairy legs and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> right. my, my hair was greasy. And suddenly we were making out. Well, I'm saying making out like American, sorry. It's not my words. I'm also <laughs> getting off with each other for breath. <laughs> so yeah. we can go in love, Jesse. Woo! <laughs> yes. <laughs> How does this inform your ideas around your sex and um, around sex and, and your body? Oh man, it's uh, it has been a wild ride. And let me tell you, I was trying to date women before this. Um, my partner is a guy, and I had basically given up on guys. I was just tired of it. I didn't see it going anywhere. I didn't see it offering the kind of sex I wanted. I didn't see it offering the kind of like emotional labor that I wanted um, out of a partnership. <laughs> And yeah, I was just really tired of like babysitting men with their feelings, you know, like teaching them how to feel and, (laughs) you know, I just, I was done. Yeah. So, um, I was trying to date women. I was exploring what that meant. I was terrified of a lot of, a lot of different aspects of my queer exploration were incredibly scary. Um, (laughs) the couple of times that I really liked a girl, um, I found myself like in full alarm systems, like panicked, wanting to just like throw my phone in a bathtub and run away, you know, like I can't, I can't text her back. I can't do it. Like it was so, so much scarier and more vulnerable for me, um, than dating men had ever been. And part of the reason is because I feel like men are predictable and you kind of, I kind of knew the rules. I knew what they liked and wanted. Um, yeah. And then I met this guy and that ruined all of those <laughs> thoughts and feelings because he he broke all of the molds he he showed up completely differently um than any guy I'd ever been with before um he he called me out on a lot of my biases and how I was participating in a lot of those cycles um yeah he's just <laughs> yeah He's awesome. And then the sex that we were having almost immediately became some of the most like liberating sex of my life in part because of how he was showing up and who he is and how I felt about him. Um, And in part because of, I don't even know what, just pure like soul aligned magic that I can't even explain. Um, I felt so safe to, to be myself. I I felt so encouraged and free. Um, to explore whatever the hell I wanted. And then I got a lot of positive feedback because anytime I would just do what I wanted or share something I liked or wanted, it was just like immediately taken into account. And, um, there was no objectification feeling. It felt like really, really, um, pure in a lot of ways. Like I I was so used to being objectified by men that that was like, I didn't even really mind it. It was kind of like, yeah, you look at me and get turned on. Like that's how this goes. But he would get turned on. Like when I talked, like when I shared emotions or sometimes when I would cry, um, that he would be like, wow, I am like so into you right now. And, and that bore out in our sex. I would be like, wow, 
like nobody has ever been the most turned on because I was like sharing something vulnerable before. Um, and it just, it changed the dynamic completely and has been incredibly healing and just absolutely amazing. That's so crazy and awesome. We're so excited for you. <laughs> Thank you. But, but no, it's interesting. Cause like, I'm, I'm curious as to, we, we, you know, we talk about kind of like the like body resonance. I'm curious as to kind of how your body resonated, diff- how it felt in your body to be not, uh, not an object. Hmm. Yeah. So first of all, uh, I can't remember, um, which one of you told the story about a guy going, so your husband. Um, but the first night I invited him over having every intention to just like have a hookup, be done with it. Like I thought he was hot. We'd had, we'd really connected. Um, that was my intention. And as we kind of like moved forward, I noticed that I was the one escalating things. And so I was just like checking in. I was like verbal consent, you know? And he said, um, like, yes, you have my consent, but I'm just not sure, not, I'm not sure how far I want to go tonight. And I was like, oh, uh, well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it, it just from the jump, it had this feeling like he wanted to hang out with me. Like he came over and was excited to, you know, be in this pretty girl's apartment who like, you know, and he was like very funny and he thought I was funny. And so he, he was just excited to hang out and he definitely wanted to, to, it wasn't like he wasn't turned on or didn't want to do stuff, but he was so very clearly not there for that, that I was able to then kind of check in with myself and go, well, is that really what I wanted? Or did I just think that was like the easiest and most available way to get some of what my needs were, you know, like I, I hadn't hooked up with anybody in a while. And, you know, like, was I just going with the thing that I thought was the most likely to happen? Um, and the easiest. And he kind of, he set the tone that night too, that he wasn't really interested in just hooking up with someone that if I wanted something, that it was going to be something. And I was like, okay, let me check in with myself about that. Am I open to that? Um, it, it was just, it, it really turned a lot of dynamics that I was used to on their head. And it made me from like moment one, do a lot of checking in with myself instead of blowing past those and checking in with what like the person in front of me wanted. It was always like sort of, he would say, here's what I want. And he would kind of hand it back to me. And then I'd be like, Oh, I guess I'll, I'll see what I want then. <laughs> like, huh, yeah, I do. I do want that. That's great. Like how cool. Um, so yeah, it, it felt different immediately. That's awesome. Like it's, it's interesting too. Cause I think like so much of the kind of like, um, hierarchies and like the, the setup, right. Is, like essentially from day one, as we discussed, being trained to like ignore our own signals because it's just more convenient. And it's actually like, it's only now being in like a really kind of secure, um, evolving relationship that it has been even, it's been possible to look at all of the other stuff, right? Yeah. Because like, it, it never even came up. It was like so embedded. It was invisible before that, like the, the signals that you blow through, you know, or like, yeah, exactly. Needs, what are my needs? And yeah. when you advocate for your own needs, when is somebody, I heard somebody say once, like when you give somebody a hug, who's taking it when, when the person, when you get a hug from somebody who's taking care of themselves, the quality of the hug feels different. Right. Mm. Like, and I so identify when somebody's like too busy, but they're hearing me anyway or whatever, you can just like feel it. But like yeah. when that person's taking care of their own needs and they're advocating for their own needs and then you're in like connection with them, it feels so yeah. fucking good because you're like, oh, I can show up as authentic self too. Wow. Yeah. What a, I mean, who'd have thought it would be? Yeah. <laughs> who'd have thought if we actually did this stuff, like it, it actually comes true. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I also think that I had been in a mode of, especially with men, I had been in a mode for a while of like, screw that, I'm going to get my needs met. So in any other hookup, I would have gone in and been a bit aggressive about it. Like it wasn't really an exchange. It was a demand. You know, I would be like, hey, just so you know, like I'm going to come tonight and I don't care if you do. Like I would say this to people. And and it was fine if they did, but I just was letting people know, like, I will not be having an unequal hookup based on your pleasure. Like this is if you want to sign up for this with me, it's going to be about me and I'm going to get my needs met and you can too. Like that was the aggressive stance I had to take in order to not end up in positions where, you know, there was just all that disappointment and like resentment and awkwardness and shame. I always felt really like yucky after hooking up with someone who didn't care about my pleasure or like didn't 
um, you know, even like notice that it had been unequal in those ways. And I was like, I'm done with that. So in order to get something else, I had to be super aggressive. And with Drew, it felt like Drew's my partner. Um, it felt like right away, he was like attentive to me and interested in me and like cared about me and, and cared less whether or not he had like, you know, he was, he was so on that page already. And he like sort of kept checking in and handing these things back to me in an unusual way that it made it so that I was like, Oh, I, it had never occurred to me. I could get my needs met without fighting for them to be met. You know what I mean? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't have to scream. My yeah. Needs my fucking needs right and then all of a sudden it occurred to me like why am I yelling (laughs) like I I don't need to do that here but it's interesting too because I don't think that like as as like weird and kind of slimy as the sex of being like oh wow I totally like ignored the fact that I have needs in that entire exchange or all of those exchanges for how many ever many years you know that Mm -hmm. that equally like the demand and if I am forced if I feel I'm like I'm forced to take that stance and be that aggressive and demanding my needs are met that like is it going to be better <laughs> you know <laughs> if we just do a role reversal and I'm like no now it's about me motherfucker you know, right like, oh. right because like, I tried that too and it was like really a bummer <laughs> mm, yeah you know it's a t- it's a like the thing that you're talking about about like people respecting each other and like listening and communicating is equal. (laughs) Yeah. It's not an easy place to arrive at, but like when you, when one does, it's like, Oh fuck, why was I accepting anything else? Cause you know, I like, Oh my God. Yeah. Objectified. But like, as long as it's like consensual and explicit, (laughs) you know, right. Not by default. Yeah. And so something that's been really interesting with him too, is that we have found our way to some things that would look like um, all of the stuff that I had been fighting and railing against. Because with him, it feels completely different. And we have found it organically. And it has felt like, I know he respects and honors and centers me so goddamn much that for him to be a little dominant for whatever like moment we're having is okay. Whereas before, I would have told you like, fuck that. Nobody gets to do that to me. You know? Mm-hmm. So it is actually incredibly liberating to explore what look like sort of traditional feminine roles in bed. Because I felt like I couldn't, I didn't trust anyone enough before to ever be that vulnerable, to ever be in a submissive position of any kind. Absolutely. And I feel like not only do if we're doing that in bed, like we tend to do, I feel when I'm respected in that space, I can do it in life too, you know, like Mm. what what if I wanted to be a mum that stays at home, but I feel like a woman, Jude Kelly always says, well, I've reached like um, female gender equality when women no longer have to be like fucking badass warriors like they can right. just be and just be like mediocre because then we find this level of balance yes we get to do yeah we get to advocate we get to say these things but what if we're a person that like that feels like a lot of pressure and it's not necessarily right. our character like and it doesn't and, mean you're a bad feminist and it doesn't mean you're a bad fucking <laughs> right. feminist, like bad whatever you know a bad female because you're not yes yeah. making a statement about yourself yeah. Additionally, we only sub to feminists. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It makes a huge, huge difference when you know that like you're just in a sexy space and he would never like take that actual approach to life. I mean, it makes it changes everything. Mm, for sure. For sure. I mean, I think that that like kind of the, one of the taglines of I guess taglines, one of the kind of uh, guiding principles, I think, of my own recent sexual sexual evolution has been like feminist submissive because it's like Mm. I can know and embody and enjoy that part of myself and like really get to explore it securely if I know my partner respects me as a human being it's actually not gendered you know (laughs) yeah yeah that's really interesting and this is a brand new exploration for me so I would say that um I certainly don't identify as submissive like in any way other than like I have had a few experiences lately that like would have shocked my uh, previous self Um, you know like as simple as one of the um, for the okay so just the way he attended to me his attention on me in those early hookups was unlike anything else I'd ever experienced it was he was constantly listening it was constantly a dialogue physically Mm. so he found his way one day to 
like a very gentle choking of me, which is something that I would never have liked, never have wanted, told someone that they could go screw themselves, like not in any way appealing. But he found his way there because I was responding positively, you know, like, like he literally, it was a dialogue and I was as surprised as he was. And at the end when we talked about it, because this is my favorite part about having sex with him is that at the end we always, not always, but a lot of times we like unpack what we liked and how it was and what it felt like, you know, so great. So we were talking about it and he's like, I've never like done that. I've never thought I would be into that, but you seemed into it. And so I just trusted like you and me. And it was just like this magic moment. And so from there, it's like, wow, what else, like, what else can we discover? What else didn't I know I might like? Um, and it's just been a lot of that has been sort of building this exploration based entirely on the fact that like, he wasn't into it before. If he'd come in and he was like, I like to choke girls. I'd be like, cool. Well, we shouldn't date. I don't know. <laughs> like it's so organic and it's so trusting and it feels incredibly vulnerable. And anything that I might have experienced around that before would have been just like the feminine feminist in me would have rebelled the the dominant in me would have rebelled like it's been so liberating to explore that that's so fun i'm so happy for you guys Thank you. <laughs> my great joy is like when people discover their like their kink or whatever like even if it's the moving target to just mm-hmm. be like oh fuck like there's a safe space to play with yeah. another human being it's like you're it sounds like you're describing dance <laughs> yeah. yes that is exactly what it feels like yes ballet ballet at its best um, <laughs> what, like i don't know i've totally lost my train of thought but don't worry we've got questions <laughs> what is your sex ideal aka who do you want to show up as in a romantic or sexual partnership that's a great question um i th- i think that there's no answer because it's a constant evolution, but I would want to show up as whoever the hell I am that day. Like I would want to show up as my most authentic self in, in any sexual space in any sexual relationship that I, that I was in. And I think that that is constantly different. <laughs> so, um, I love the idea that a sexual space can be a place to like work out frustrations as much as it can be to like come back together and find peace that it can be healing as much as it can be celebrational. Like it can be all of these things and wherever you're coming into it from sort of determines what that particular session will be like. Hmm. Beautiful. And so why do clients come to you as a coach or a sexologist? Um, For the most part, people are coming to me because either body image issues are getting in the way of the sex they want to have or um, sexual stuff is entangled with what they know about themselves and their body image. So, for example, a lot of people will, um, you know, they'll say, I fit the conventional beauty standards. People say I'm pretty. I, I know I'm pretty thin or whatever. I just feel like because of XYZ flaw, no one's ever going to love me. Or I'll never find, like, I'll never get my needs for sex and intimacy met or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um Sometimes it's more about like the internalized shame of whatever, like maybe they have a kink or they're a virgin or they, um, a virgin, I'm putting that in air quotes, um, or maybe they feel like they have too much desire and it would turn somebody off or maybe they feel like they, uh, anything, any of those things can lead to body image issues because then they blame their body for being the wrong kind of person, the wrong kind of body. Uh, and so then, then it gets really tangled up where they're like, I actually like how I look, but I hate my body. What's going on with that? Huh. You know, um, wow. or I don't like how I look, but I don't think it has anything to do with how I look. What the hell is it about? And and we dive into that stuff. So it's not always about sex. Obviously, I do body image coaching, so we can. It can be about boundaries. It can be about relationships. Um, it can be about belonging. But a lot of times, it it comes down to something in the realm of sexology, and um, I'm able to navigate that. Can I ask what you what tips you might give to somebody if they like the way they look, but um what's the thing you just said like the way you look but still hate their body hate my body hate my body yeah what would be a uh tip? yeah a tip um <laughs> tips are hard. um <laughs> i would Sorry, say I'm, a coach, so I'm like oh give me that <laughs> yeah no so i think it would it would be about exploring what you are so resentful of or what you're so angry about or in what way you think your body has failed you um, because sometimes it could be 
sex stuff. Sometimes it could be like injury or illness stuff. Um, mm. I mean, a lot of it will feel like a betrayal. Like if you're really, if you really, really hate your body and feel kind of ambivalently about how you look, I would say at some point you decided your body was out to get you mm. and that there was some kind of betrayal, some which way, and that we should figure out what that is and explore and, and release that. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Super interesting. Well, and it's interesting because it's it feels like the what you like. <laughs> the, how could one have the sexology discussion without kind of involving the body image stuff? Because I know when I'm in in my head in my kind of body image like neurosis, when that loop gets mm-hmm. started, it's impossible to like feel feelings in the body in the present. It's impossible to right. contact intuition. It's impossible to kind of trust my own boundaries. So like yeah. <laughs> without those things, how could one possibly have a positive sex experience that was yeah. not about disassociation? Mm. Right. You know, which can be fun to a certain extent, but it's like is if that's the goal, like fuck, I mean, then it I know for me it looked like betraying myself just con- like constantly like yeah. so dark. That's absolutely so Oh man. So, this sorry the the, <laughs> the questions are like drunk driving. They're like steered aggressively <laughs> from one side to the other. Um, uh, what what do you like? I mean, you you mentioned that you're kind of exploring whole new realms with your partner, but like, what what turns you on, and how do you have these conversations, right? Either with this mm. present partner in, in other relationships, because I think a lot of people are kind of blocked about even. Like going down that road of being like, this is what I want to have happen without it, as you mentioned, being super like aggressive. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think what I want is an ever moving target. I think that's part of the, the, maybe it's just part of where I am right now. Maybe it's a forever thing. I'm not sure. Um, But I know that when I was like dating women, I was, I I felt like my entire reality of who I am as a sexual being had crumbled. Um, Mm. I was very much like, I don't care if I ever experience penetration ever again. Like I don't, I'm not into that. And I finally gave myself permission to not be into that. And I realized how much of the sex I'd had in my life was for somebody else to be Mm -hmm. into what, you know, and I was like, damn, like I always thought I was into that, but I can now see that if I'm truly tuned into what I want and in a queer space where that's not an expectation, I am not interested in that. I remember having a conversation with a a dear friend where I said something like, I don't, I don't know if I'll ever have like, you know, penetrative sex again. And he was, he was so supportive, you know, he was like, Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Like good for you. I hope you find someone who like doesn't care. And that's like, you know, it was, it was like this revelation and it definitely improved the sex I was having. Cause again, it meant that if I was going to hook up with someone, I was going to say, this is not what I'm into. So I hope you're interested in some other stuff. Let's try some other stuff. Um, but also with this partner, I have been reintroduced to it from a place of it not being an expectation, not being a demand. Um, he doesn't care. A lot of the, what I described our early, our early hookup and sex life was very like lesbian sex. Like it was the sex that I wanted to have. It was tender and it was like non-penetrative and it was just creative you know it was like how many ways can we have pleasure together in in this space and it was so awesome that by the time we were sort of introducing penetration as a more regular thing I was like completely fine with it like I didn't feel any of that pressure I didn't I I was able to access myself so much better because it wasn't this thing for him it was like he he was down to offer it to me for me if I wanted it and if I didn't want it that was fine too so from from that kind of place, I have discovered that it is pure magic. I don't know if it's just him and his amazing cock. I don't know. I can't say. It's just, it's pure magic. And there is this thing around it feeling like the first time for me. Like I've never had penetrative sex that felt like this ever in my life. Mm-hmm. So I am now like sort of obsessed with it. And like, we're, I feel like we kind of go through phases, you know, where I'm like, screw that other kind of sex. This is all I want to have. Um, but it's, it's so exploratory. And I know that if I got into something else, that that would then be, you know, that like, it would all be okay with him, that he's so there with all of that exploration um, that I don't have to worry about being like, oh no, like all that good, luscious, exploratory sex is done and now we just have to have it the normal way like that's not what's going on here so I'm able to really relax into 
into what I like um, and try new things. So yeah, so lately it's been a lot of like G-spot stuff. I discovered um, that I can, that I'm multi-orgasmic, that I can have G-spot orgasms. Um, these are things that have never happened with anyone before. Um, so <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's extraordinary. So, but I really, really believe that part of me before during penetration was like rejecting the person because it wasn't for me. So mm. I couldn't really tune into all of that pleasure. I was, I was still on the defensive at least a little bit. Like my nerve endings couldn't fully come online. I couldn't fully feel things because I was still playing defense just a little yeah. bit, you know? Well, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, because it's like some, even the definition of sex or like loss of virginity is around penetrative sex and male orgasm. So when you take those things off the table and you're like, no, it's about experience, like, right. like experiencing pleasure also, it's like this whole like universe unfolds, yeah. you know, in which like I, I know I get really anxious about like timing and then I'm, I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, about like, oh, I just will take too long to come. This is too much of an effort. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You know? It was quicker last time. I know. Yeah, yeah. I'm a human being. Yeah, <laughs> totally. totally. Fucking robot so, with a tiny set. <laughs> one thing that's been so amazing, and part of the reason I think that I'm able to be having this kind of sex, is that because, as you guys both cheered for, we talk about it afterward, right? So we found our way to this space. And also, I will say that he came in with his own stuff, like his own baggage, his own anxieties. Like, he's very open about, like, um, like for example, he didn't... <laughs> Yeah. He, he didn't like to receive, um, it because it put him in his head, which is like super common among women, right? It's like receiving is like really stressful. Cause you're like, what do I do with my hands? What do I do with like, how long do you, I don't want to make you be tired or resent me. Um, so yeah, so he kind of came in with that stuff and we would just like talk and talk and it just felt like, Oh, okay. Well he totally gets it then. So the idea of finding containers that worked for us, such as like me expressing how much shame I'd had in the past about taking too long and all this stuff. And then us finding our way to a container where he would be like, why don't we just focus on how much pleasure we can have? Like if we had the whole afternoon or whatever, it was like, let's just go for pleasure. And let's like not try to, you know, have an expectation of orgasm. Let's not do this. Let's not do that. Like, um, I just want to do this thing for you. Will you let me do this for you? And so it would be like, uh, okay. Yeah. And then afterwards I would say, I never felt so spacious before. I never felt like I could take up all that time. I feel greedy. I've had, I have cried so much after sex that we've had because I feel like these old deep layers I didn't even know were there about being greedy and selfish and slutty. Like I just Mm. want too much. And it would be like on my, you know, third or fourth G-spot orgasm, I'm having a great time and I don't want to stop. But some teeny tiny voice is like, I should tell him he doesn't have to keep going, you know? Mm. So I would then tell him after and he'd be like, please never stop me. Like I will stop. I will, you know, unless you obviously want me to stop, but it's like, I will stop if I need to, we can reposition, we can do whatever. But like, I am so in it with you that you never need to worry about that. So I think that kind of container is absolutely required to really go to the place where you fully let go mentally. That's amazing. Well, and also what you're talking about requires like time and trust and communication. Yeah. There's not a lot like, I think a lot of times within especially long-term relationships, people can kind of like believe that the mundane is just like, this is the status quo and this is, you know, like whatever. And so this idea of like setting aside time and like allowing, allowing pleasure to be paramount. I think that's like a super, it like, it doesn't work with the kind of puritanical like mentality of like, (laughs) <laughs> of everything we learn from society in the church that if like you're if you're not working and making money and being helpful and being woke and then like yeah. you know, being <laughs> right <laughs> so there's a lot of unlearning that you're talking about doing yeah that, that the whole the whole process has like allowed this huge energy this like amazing kind of erotic unfurling to take place yeah ongoing Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes when people ask me like, oh, how do I, like, how do I have better sex or something? I'm like, it, (laughs) without a partner who's on board for this kind of thing, I don't know. You know, I mean, I do in some ways, obviously, of course, there's a certain amount of education, there's a certain amount of communication skills and self-advocacy and courage involved. But I genuinely can't imagine going to these places with a partner who's still on that cis heteronormative sex script. I don't think it would be possible because the moment someone looks me in the eyes and says, like, um, I want to fuck you like this, like I have now lost access to what I actually 
feel and think and want. And I think that's pretty common. Like I'm a responsive person. My sexuality is responsive. It's very difficult to stay in touch with my wants and needs when I'm faced with someone else's, you know, aggressively sharing theirs. Um, And not even necessarily aggressively, but like in the way that we've been taught is normal. So I I think it requires, or at least it is required for me, it requires like a space where that's not thrust upon me in order to like really hear my own body, in order to hear my own desires. And I think that that requires a partner who kind of (laughs) is unusual in these ways, willing to go way, way off script with you. That's so awesome. Like just the kind of... the building knowledge around the necessary requirements to even start to have those conversations or explorations, I think is really important because especially like how on earth can we start to like advocate or explore otherwise, you know? Yeah. Without the kind of prerequisite, without the framework, I think this is a really helpful conversation about liberation. So thank you for this information. (laughs) Really useful. Um, If you could tell your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? About sex or about anything? About anything. Anything. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's too broad. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, about sex, I feel like it would be it would be somewhere in this realm. It would be that there that the script is pointless and nobody's having a good time following it. Um, that I'm not failing if I go off script. Mm. And I'm not, you know, you know what I mean? Like that I would tell myself that that I can trust my own impulses and desires and to listen to them because I think um, I think I would have discovered a lot of this stuff a lot sooner. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yikes. So we're gonna do our, our lightning round of questions. Cool. Um, <laughs> and the, the the goal being to kind of like don't think about it too hard. Cool? Okay. Yes. Okay. So uh, a song or fantasy that gets you in the mood. Either or. Hmm. Uh, definitely don't have any songs. A uh, fantasy that gets me in the mood. Um, God, that's a that I don't. <laughs> blanking. Um, I think that there's. It depends on what mood I'm in. That's the that's the thing. I feel like it's totally. The fantasy is always, it's whatever would meet my needs in that moment. So if I'm feeling like I need attention, then the fantasy is all about being like lavished in attention. If I feel like I'm needing um, to express agency, then the the fantasy is all about dominance and expressing agency. So the Mm -hmm. the fantasy is like a direct reflection of whatever the hell I need in the moment. Awesome. A room in your home you feel safest in. (laughs) <laughs> well, I don't have a home. <laughs> so <laughs> my bedroom downstairs is the only bedroom that is uh, in any way mine. Um, so I would say that. And uh, yeah, for now anyway. Awesome. <laughs> uh, what's the last book you enjoyed? Ooh, um, well, I've recently reread the entire Harry Potter series. So um, the seventh book uh, just finished, but, um, fantastic. Yeah. For like the millionth time. I mean, it's been so many times. Um, but I would say that the, the majority of what I read is nonfiction. Um, and I'm, I'm currently reading when they call you a terrorist and it's very good. Excellent. We'll put that in the show notes. Amazing. <laughs> and where, um, one second, if you could be any animal in the world today, what would you be? <laughs> It could be a shifting point. It doesn't have, you're not there forever. It's just today. <laughs> um, I guess I would say dolphin because that was always my answer when I was a kid. Um, just seems very fun and free. And apparently they can experience. Uh, That's right. They have sex for pleasure. <laughs> Bless the dolphins. Yeah. And if you could live on any planet outside this one, which one would it be? Why would I do that? I don't know. I'm I'm just. (laughs) (laughs) I like Earth. Give that one. If you if you were trapped on a desert island, what uh what I was gonna I was gonna be like, what piece of makeup would you have with you? Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's not what I want to say. A bronzer. (laughs) 
have um, a microblading eyebrow pencil. No, um, <laughs> the most useful tool actually. Yeah. Yes. Nail scissors. Okay. <laughs> what? Who? Who would you want with you? Who would I want with me? That's not fair. These questions are hard. I don't know, Drew, so we can have sex and live life. Thank you so much for for joining us for this uh, conversation. Um, Anything you want to plug or you want to tell us about your social media? Because clearly we already know about it, but maybe our listeners could. All right. Uh, Sure. Yeah, you can find me at my website. It's jessineeland.com. And then on both Facebook and Instagram, it's at jessineeland. Um, Instagram is definitely where I, I do the most, uh, sort of engaging and posting and things. So you can find me there. Awesome. Thanks for being such a wonderful guest. Thank you so much. Jessica. You're, You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you.